Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. Today, we're going to talk about leadership and music. No, we're not. We're talking about leadership. Uh, we have a, a musician on here today, Russell. What do you think of that? I think musicians should stick together. <laughs> yeah, they are. I mean, that's that's the place where teamwork has to come together or everybody looks bad. That's a place where you don't get to point a, point a finger because you've got the whole group in there. And if, if one goes off the rails, the whole thing goes off the rails. Yeah, uh, Jared's a violist and I'm a conductor. We won't tell either of those kinds of jokes today. <laughs> There are plenty of both of those to go around. And um, so what uh, this is a pleasure. I've seen your TED talk, TEDx talks, Jared, and it's really, really good. And he, he models what we talk about. Good leaders are vulnerable, transparent. Um, you know, Renee, uh, Brene Brown talks about being vulnerable in the, the trainer of, of conductors. James Jordan talks about you can't be make good music on the podium until you as a conductor become vulnerable and that's generally applicable to leadership. So Jared, tell us who is Jared Hanning and why do you do, what is it you do and why do you do this? Oh, look at that. Hey folks. Hey folks. My name is Jared Hanning. I live in Columbia, South Carolina. Um, I play with the South Carolina Philharmonic. Uh, I've been there for 20 years. I've been the principal violist for the past 10 years. Um, I recently, step down actually back in May to do the work that we're going to talk about here shortly with business owners and leaders. Um, one of the things that I was doing differently though in music is as a freelance musician, um, I made over six figures working 20 hours a week. Uh, we might get to talk into some of that because the strategies that I used are the same for anybody in the creative space, whether they are in pottery or painting or dance or instrumental musicians or vocal musicians. Um, nonprofit board members, whatever it is, those strategies still apply. We might have a chance to talk about those. Um, right now, I work as a performance coach. I deal with business owners, uh, people in high position of leaderships, and my clients normally double their income by purposely working half as many hours. I know that sounds like snake oil. Uh, the way that happens, though, is we use a Nobel-nominated process that teaches their mind how to think at a higher level. Um, when your mind is is viewing things from a, like a higher altitude, a higher level, it starts to see solutions that it couldn't see before. Uh, a great example there is if you think about driving your car, the only time you ever like accidentally back into something was because you didn't see it. If you can't see it, you can't avoid it. And in your car, when that happens, when you accidentally back into something, you you get out of the car and you walk around to the back and you're like, oh my gosh, there it is. Now I see it. And the key point is there. You solve the problem by physically moving the vantage point you were looking from. So in life or in business, anytime you keep hitting the same obstacle or hurdle, don't have enough time, don't have enough money, you're doing everything you know, it's not because you're not trying hard. All it means is there's something about that situation that your brain hasn't seen yet. Um, and that's where we're able to get people's thinking patterns down on paper so that we can see where that breakthrough is for them. And it's just incredible. Hopefully we'll have a chance to share some of the stories of nonprofit owners and business leaders and that kind of thing and how it's made a difference in their life. I also am the world tickle champion in the five-year-old category. Very proud of that distinction. I like this. This is a, a real person we have here, Russell David Dennis. Um, and, uh, you know, Jared, um, performance, your TED talk, talk, talk a little bit about your transparency and talk about your, your reluctance to want to do solo performing and that, that story real quickly, would you? Solo, solo performing. Okay. So as a performance musician, um, I don't know if anybody can relate to this, but I had stage fright, like, and it, it was, it was misery. Okay. Um, I would practice, 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 practice. I would go play the recital or the audition or whatever it was. I would be overcome by this weird thing that would take over my mind and I couldn't think straight or see straight or whatever. And my body's shaking and I'm breathing. And I know I sound like crap. This is not at all what I sounded like 30 minutes ago, 
and it was misery. So you have this passion in you to, to share the art and to share the music and to share. But anytime you have the opportunity to share, your body just shuts down and it just sounds horrible. And what, what, I mean, like, is music some kind of mental illness where we can't not do it or something? Good grief. So that's where I was, right? Anytime I would play a solo or a recital or an audition or whatever it was, I would want to sell my instrument, quit, forget it. I'm going to go do something else. This is nuts. But I, I had that, uh, I couldn't put it down. I couldn't put it down. So this goes on my whole life. And um, then I moved into a space where I was uh, doing more performance coaching with leaders and business and showing them some of the tricks of the body and some of the science behind productivity and that kind of thing. And um, I was sitting on stage with the symphony. I was principal viola. Uh, the solo is coming up and all that nervous thing is starting to kick in that, that misery. Okay. So it's start right. And my brain's going batty and already I, I know I'm not going to be able to play. And I've got like 30 seconds now. <clears throat> and then it dawns on me. What if <clears throat> get this? I just practice what I tell other people to do. I know, right? Shocking, shocking. Oh my gosh, what if I just take my own medicine? So I took my own medicine and this is what happened. I looked at the music because here, here it comes down to, if you're taking notes, your problem is that you don't have a big enough problem. The only reason you were stressed out about coming up with an extra $10,000 this month for your nonprofit is because you're trying to come up with $10,000. Somewhere in this country right now, there's somebody who has to come up with $100,000. I guarantee you they're not worried about 10 because they're thinking at a higher level. They're thinking on a bigger scale. They're seeing things you haven't seen. Your problem is that you're not dealing with bigger problems. So that's where I was, right? My problem was small potatoes. I get all the notes right. Play my best. Um, look good. Um, make a difference. Uh, share them. All this small stuff, small thinking. So I was like, all right, time out, time out what is this passage of music speaking about? And I realized that that particular passage, I wish I could remember the song that we we're playing, um, spoke to me about the felt experience, the received experience of being loved. And so I said, all right, here's the deal. I'm gonna take a stand that my audience would have the received felt experience of being loved. Okay, I've got this solo, that's what it's speaking to to me. I'm going to share that with my audience. Now, this was new. This was new. Up until now, every single time it was, I got to get the notes right. I got to play in tune. I got to sound good. I got to look pretty. I got to play my best, play my best. All this stuff that is immeasurable. It's, it, you can't quantify it. It's a target you can't hit. It doesn't exist. So I was like, all right. So I played and took a stand. Like I took a, a, a stand, right? I'm going to stand for this possibility of my audience. Now, because I had never done this before, my brain is still trying to talk me out of it. Um, a, a big shift or whatever would be coming up and my brain would be going, whoa, 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 this is a hard shift. You might miss it. And I would have to choose. Am I going to play the game of getting all the notes right and looking good? Or am I going to stand for what's possible for my audience? And I would say, nope, I'm going to stand for what's possible for my audience. I'm going all out here for the next 30 seconds. That's, that's what I'm doing. I'm not playing that game anymore. Then the next note would come. Oh, 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 this note's kind of hard to play in tune in this chord. Like, come on, here's a good reason for you to worry. Here's a good reason for you to worry. My brand, I have to say, no, I don't care about playing that note in tune. I don't care if nothing comes out of my instrument at all right now. I'm not playing that game. I'm in a new game. I'm in a game of what's possible for my audience. And I'm going to stand that they would have the felt experience of receiving love. I, I'm not in the game of getting the notes right right now. Now, I know this sounds weird. It sounds counterintuitive. I got to tell you, after committing for what was possible in the audience's life, every single note and giving up the game of getting the notes right, playing perfect, playing my best, looking good, I played better than I ever had before under pressure. I felt better. This is the real breakthrough. I felt better about it than I ever had before under pressure. This had never happened in my life before. All the auditions, solos, recitals, all that crap. Every single time I finished, I wanted to sell my instrument and quit. This was the first time that I actually looked forward to doing it again. This is the first time that the passion for music was met with the experience of sharing it under pressure. That's my story about stage fright. I'm, I'm loving it. And you know, there's so many people, um, you and I both um, 
work as keynote speakers. And I got to tell you, standing up and talking is a whole lot easier than conducting an orchestra or playing a solo, either one. Um, speaking is a lot more forgiving. You can hit a wrong note and you can pivot and you can use that in your next phrase. It's unless you're playing jazz, that's a little harder to do in music. You know, I, I hear a lot of jazz and things come up and then they become the next motif and then they, they play around with it. Um, so there's a, there's a real connection here with leadership. Leaders are always people of influence and we're always presenting to others whether it's our board, whether it's our staff, whether it's a single donor or supporter. And we get stage fright. And, and what you've just given us is a pathway to rethink that. And if you go back to Napoleon Hill's writings and you look at the second chapter of Think and Grow Rich, you have something of value. You surround yourself with really good people. You, you have a positive mental attitude. And what he discovered in interviewing 500 of the most successful people in America is that the brain couldn't hold a positive and a negative image at the same time. So what he did was help people get that mindset change. We have this um, the shadow that follows us. A lot of people have money shadows, so we actually repel the money we want to attract. And we actually repel the people we need on our board or our volunteers because of our, our, our attitude and our scripts that we play inside. So what you really did was you overwrote those scripts that are playing that little, that little voice inside you that's saying, no, you can't, no, you can't. You're saying, yes, I can. But you totally reframed that. And so, so do you find, I guess you work with executives, but nonprofit executives are just important, board chairs. And we have our own set of challenges presenting. What are your experiences with some of those nonprofit leaders that you've helped reframe their thinking to reframe their positioning. <clears throat> That's right. And the reframe is key. The, the breakthrough with performance anxiety wasn't about resisting or overcoming. It was about playing a different game entirely. Um, an example there is Gandhi, love him or hate him, um, tremendous influence bringing about peace in a country that was torn four different ways in civil war. And, and one of the things he did was he spoke a lot to big audiences. He, he, he was a big orator sharing his message and his vision for what was possible in peace. What maybe many people don't know about Gandhi is that before he became Gandhi, the guy that we know, he was a lawyer in England and he was a crappy lawyer. Um, on his first case, he was so terrified of speaking in public that he fled the courtroom and his assistant had to close for him. On his second case, he went to his client the night before giving back all his money, said, listen, man, I got to tell you the truth. I am terrified of speaking to public. And because of that, I can't represent you fairly. Here's all your money back. Okay, so Gandhi sinks as a lawyer in, in England, and uh, he moves to South Africa. And he, he sets out his shingle in South Africa. Well, maybe I'll do better as a lawyer down here. So he's got his shingle out, and he's going to try again. And... Um, well, the question is, what happened in his life to turn him from someone who was terrified of speaking to public to somebody who clearly that didn't even exist? It wasn't a blip on the radar. Uh, obviously, Gandhi wasn't dealing with it. He didn't like buy an ebook on public speaking tips. He, did, he didn't attend Tony Robbins' public speaking mastery and, and apply some kind of you know, ninjutsu trick or something. He wasn't dealing with it anymore, obviously. Well, here's what happened. While he was in South Africa, he noticed that his countrymen, the people of India, were horribly oppressed. And he decided, like he decided, nobody knighted him, nobody anointed him, nobody asked him, nobody gave him permission. He decided that he was going to stand for the possibility of peace in India. He took that on as his job in life. Well, let me tell you, when you represent peace for an entire nation, speaking in front of 20,000 people doesn't even exist on your radar. It's, it's not even a blip. It's gone. And that's the power of stepping up to something bigger in your life and solving bigger problems. Now, the way this looks with nonprofit executives, um, leaders, board chairs, when we uh, share with them the Nobel-nominated way of thinking at a higher level and accessing more parts of your brain, which is crazy because as you think of the arts, people are very happy to talk about the difference that music makes that you use more of your brain at one time. And that's absolutely true. 
but why, why isn't that making a difference in our leadership? Why is that making a difference in our fundraising? Why is that making a difference in the success of the individual businesses of all the business owners who are sitting on the board? I mean, a rising tide lifts all boats. If we can get their businesses to increase, then that helps everybody involved. So why isn't that? Well, that's what the work that we do is different. We show them how to access different ways of thinking on demand so they can benefit from the different abilities in their brain. Some examples are in nonprofit world, there's an exercise that I take everybody through that has them get really clear on what their earning power is. And many people, especially in the nonprofit space, feel like I don't have enough money to hire help. I can't afford to hire an assistant. I can't afford to outsource these things because we got to be a good steward of our funds and we got to take care of this, right? And then they think, well, I don't have enough time to train the help. I've got all these volunteers and by the time I show them how to do it, I've got to go redo it for them. So I should have just done it myself. Or by the time they do it, they mess it up and we're back further than we were before. I don't have the time to train them. I don't have the money to hire them. I might as well just do it myself. We get in this, this way of thinking of solving problems that's the best way for me to solve this problem is to do the work. If you're taking notes, write this down. If I'm doing the work, my business is falling behind. Hopefully in a little bit, we'll look at some slides that shows what's going on in the brain when that's kicking in. But any which way, after taking some nonprofit executives through this way of thinking at a higher level, how do you work less but make more? Why is that true? Um, one of them up in New Jersey, she got really clear that the value of her time was $5,000 an hour. When she was doing the one thing in fundraising that she did better than anybody else, $5,000 an hour. And, and she had the data to show it. When I make these phone calls and talk to these people, I make $5,000 an hour. Okay, great. Now what that shows is she can no longer afford to do anything that's not a $5,000 an hour task because she has clarity on what that is. And we instantly solve the problem of I can't afford to pay somebody and I don't have the time. Well, no wonder you can't afford to pay somebody. You're spending your day doing $15 an hour tasks. I don't have the time to train them. Well, of course you don't have time to train them. You're spending your day doing $15 an hour tasks. And she got clarity on that. Now what the sweet spot, the zone of genius was for her is going to be different from different executives. And, and I can't tell an executive what it's going to be for them without looking at their, their mind scan, without looking at their map of how their brain is solving problems to see where their breakthrough is. That's pretty remarkable. How did you transit? You know, we see this, um, it's a version of dumbing down really in focusing, we're majoring in minor things because it has to be done rather than reframing. I guess it starts, this, 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 this scarcity thinking starts with the word nonprofit, which is basically a lie. And we like to, one of our guests gave us the, the term one time, it's not a for-profit business, it's a for-purpose enterprise. And, you know, we're the official, I guess, Russell, the IRS nomenclature is tax exempt. It's the nonprofit is something that came from nowhere. But we begin thinking we can't take risk. We pay, can't, can't pay good salaries. We can't spend money on marketing. And certainly we can't hire somebody to help us with money because we got to do it ourselves. So that's a major paradigm shift. And it's based on value for value. And you just defined it. Your worth to the organization is this much money. And that is should be a wake up. So, so the title of this is Do Less, Get More Done. How did you come up with that? And how does that really work? I know, because um, it sounds like snake oil, right? The less you work, the more you make. I get it. It totally sounds like snake oil. Holy moly. All right, if you're taking notes, write this down. <clears throat> a breakthrough in your business will first occur as a breakthrough in your thinking. And this is what uh, Einstein was talking about when he said, you need to try harder. <laughs> I'm kidding. He didn't actually say that. What Einstein actually said was you can't solve a problem with the same level of thinking that created it. By the way, I, I apologize for my voice. If I sound like mean and angry, it's because I've got a head cold right now. Um, I don't normally sound <laughs> this aggressive with my voice. I apologize. You're not mean and angry, are you? Um, okay. <laughs> those listening on the podcast, we will put up some of these graphics on the website. You can find it at thenonprofitexchange.org and click on the videos of previous sessions. You'll see the interview with Jared Hanning get more done in less time. So go ahead. I just want to make sure that people listening 
know where to see these. These are really good visuals. Excellent. Excellent. So that quote from Einstein, you can't solve a problem with the same level of thinking that created it came from his involvement with the nuclear arms committee. The world, uh, the United States had just uh, opened Pandora's box called nuclear weapons. And um, after the war had kind of winded down, we realized, oh, wait a minute, maybe this isn't a good thing. Maybe um, hum humanity should not have access to nuclear power. What do we do? How do we solve this problem? How do we put the genie back in the bottle? And that's where Einstein's quote came. You, you, whoa, time out, guys. We can't solve the problem of what to do with nuclear power with the same level of thinking that created nuclear power. Um, now, if you're at a place where you realize that you've been working hard, but every year you kind of seem to make the same amount of money, every year your nonprofit seems to reach the same number of people, um, you realize that you're not doubling your income every couple of years despite doing all you know, despite working hard. When that happens, I want you to know that it's not your fault. There's a, there's a lot of bad information out there. Um, there's people that advise you to use a to-do list. Well, I'm going to tell you that using a to-do list actually reduces your productivity. Uh, there's people that advise to be focused on getting things done and checking things off your list. Well, I'm going to tell you that the more you're focused on checking things off your list, uh, the lower your income is. Um, and, and I know that might seem like, like craziness, you know, counterintuitive. This is not the get things done approach. <clears throat> Look, wherever you're at, if you keep hitting the same obstacles, don't have enough time, don't have enough money, don't have the political support in your community to grow your nonprofit, don't have the relationships or the connections to get that um, anchor fund in place so that we're not scrambling every month kind of thing. If you keep hitting the same obstacles, it's not because you're not trying hard. As a matter of fact, there's three things that are going on. You don't need to write these down, but there's three things that are happening. Number one, you're already doing all you know to do. I mean, really, come on, right? Pat yourself on the back. You're hustling. If there was something else you could do to solve that problem, you would. Number two, everything that you're doing makes sense. It seems like a good idea. Well, duh. Come on, Jared. Say something smarter than that. Of course, it seems like a good idea or you wouldn't be doing it. You're not an idiot. What that means is a breakthrough in your situation. The thing that's going to transform your business to being more effective with less time, to making more money, to reaching more people with less effort. The breakthrough, the transformational doorway will at first not make sense. It's going to sound like a bad idea. It's going to seem like craziness. If it made sense to do, you'd already be doing it. I mean, this is the same situation that we were in when we were learning how to ride a bicycle, right? Go back to that time, you're five years old. They just took off the training wheels. You didn't have it yet. A little wobbly. And um, you're doing the best you can. You're kind of going slow. You don't want to crash. don't want to get hurt. And uh, in that stage, before you experience balance, your crazy Aunt Jenny comes over with some advice. And she says, now what you need to do is go faster. Because when you go faster, it's easier to balance. And you think, now I know why they call her crazy Aunt Jenny. That's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. If I can't balance going slow on this thing, how in the world is going fast going to help? That's just going to make it worse. And then one day, you accidentally experience balance for the first time. And when that happened, your brain went, oh, my gosh, now I know what she was talking about. Notice, before you had the felt experience, no amount of explanation from Crazy Aunt Jenny made a difference. After you had the felt experience, no amount of explanation was needed. And that's what happens when we unlock a new way of thinking and solving problems in your mind. Okay, remember, a breakthrough in your business first happens as a breakthrough in your thinking. Now, I want to show you a little bit on how this happens in reality. Um, back in the 50s, there was a guy named Robert Hartman, and uh, he created the Nobel-nominated Hartman Profile. This is a way of scientifically measuring the way your mind solves problems. Um, and with that work, we are able to print up a graph of how your mind solves problems, the values that it's using, uh, the assessments that it's using, the inputs that it's using. And because we're able to print it up on paper, we're able to see right away where the blind spot was that was holding your breakthrough. Uh, behind every blind spot, there's a breakthrough, I guarantee. And that's how these business owners 
are able to double their income by working less. That's how these nonprofit executives are able to get the time and money they need by working less because they saw something about their sweet spot and their zone of genius that they hadn't seen before. Um, as you can imagine, like it's, it's duh, it's a no brainer that people would pay $500 to, to take something like this because it really is transformative. 30% of the people who take it are in tears because they find what it reveals about them so emotionally meaningful. Now, um, a little bit about what led me into this uh, breakthrough in my business and then what led me into sharing this with other people. <clears throat> so I was working as a freelance musician back in the day, um, hustling it out, probably working 40 hours a week, making 50 a year, uh, just doing the best I could, right? Teaching lessons, playing weddings, playing in the symphony, all that kind of stuff. And uh, in order for me to make more money, the, the, the advice was, well, you need to work more hours. But, but that doesn't scale. And that's like your first clue. If it doesn't scale, it's a bad strategy. And you can't solve a bad strategy with stubbornness. So I'd been trying to solve it with stubbornness all these years. And of course, every year I ended up in the same place, telling myself the same story. Oh, next year I'm going to try harder. And then next year we go around. Oh, no, no, no. Do over. I'm going to take a mulligan. This year I'm really going to apply myself. <laughs> then that year we go around. I mean, come on. Eventually you got to be honest. Trying harder ain't going to get you there. So take the mind scan. It shows a couple things about how I was valuing my time, about how I was valuing other people. And the result was um, that took me from working 40 hours a week, making 50 as a freelance musician to working 20 hours a week, making 100 as a freelance musician. Specifically, I made three changes. So if you're in the arts, um, I would encourage you to look into these three changes for your line of work. Number one, I stopped charging for my time. I started charging for the result. So when someone would come to me to learn music, parents are bringing their kids or whatever, I stopped charging based on the time it took to teach them. I started charging based on the results that they were leaving with. Consequently, I went from teaching one-on-one, -on -one, which does not scale, to one-on-many. I started doing group lessons. Immediately, that doubled my income from any other teacher in my area without charging more. I didn't charge people more. Getting access to the arts was still very affordable for everybody. I just changed the way I delivered it. Number two, equip the people you're teaching. <clears throat> so people are coming to me, hey, um, what instrument should we use? What music should we use? What supplies should we use? It's like, well, I recommend this and this and this. You can get it down the road at the music store. Okay, well, let me, let me reframe that. I had people coming to me with money in their pockets saying, Jared, where should we take this extra money? And I would say, oh, no, don't give me your extra money. Go down and give it to the guy at the music store. Quit that nonsense. Spent 15 minutes to fill out a retail license in my state. Called up some music distributors. Say, hey, I've got some people who want your stuff. Done. Now when they would come, where do we get this? How do we get that? I've got one right here for you. So I, I started to equip my students. Number three, now that my students are getting expertise, back in the day what I was doing is I was playing gigs. Well, remember, if it doesn't scale, it's a bad strategy. In order to make more money, I can't play more gigs. So I started booking gigs for my students. Now, there's no limit on the number of people I can put in a group. There's no limit on the number of people I can equip with supplies. And there's no limit on the number of gigs I can book for other musicians. And those three pillars allowed me to go from the hustle 40 hours a week to 50,000 a year to a lifestyle that works and is sustainable 20 hours a week at 100,000 a year. But I know you might be thinking, well, I'm not a freelance musician or I'm not in the arts or I don't have an interest in side income or whatever. You know, okay, fine. You're a lawyer. Okay. You're a banker. You're a doctor. Well, let's, let's take a look. Could you, instead of doing the work, teach other people to do the work? Maybe you're, you're a lawyer and you're really good at attracting clients. Could you teach other lawyers to attract clients? Well, there's no limit on the number you can teach. Could you equip them with the equipment and tools that you use? Could you then book opportunities for them to teach other people? And any business can do this. But specifically, specifically, I want to, um, if, if you're listening on the podcast, I've got a picture on the screen of what somebody's mind map, their, their breakthrough graph looks like. And this is just a part of it. It's not the whole thing. But this part of it reveals some interesting things. Whenever we talk to somebody who is an achiever, a hustler, go-getter, the kind of person that 
uh, prides themselves on, on working hard and, and getting things done, uh, the kind of person that uh, prides themselves on checking things off their to-do list and, and making things happen, right? An achiever, a real go-getter. And we ask them, we say, do you ever have more on your to-do list than you have time to get done? They say, oh my gosh, yes, all the time. Okay, when you see that problem, do you try working harder and faster to fix it? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I do. I do. I mean, if, if there's, you know, I got more to do than I have time to get doing, I just have to work harder. That's what I got to do. Okay. All right. And after working harder and faster, maybe you returned a hundred emails and had 27 phone calls and went to three meetings and skipped lunch, stayed late. But by the end of the day, it feels like you didn't move the ball forward. It, it feels like you spent most of the day kind of doing somebody else's job. Like you weren't doing it in that zone of genius that you know life is calling you to step up to. So it feels a little empty. And then it's kind of exasperating because after all this working harder and faster tomorrow, I'm just going to have to do it again. And they're like, oh man, yeah, I feel that all the time. It's so frustrating, but I don't have time for this conversation because I got to work harder and faster. Whenever we, we have a conversation with an achiever, a hustler, real go-getter like that, um, and if you're listening to the podcast, I'd encourage you to check out the website so you can see these graphs. It makes this pattern in their thinking. And what I want you to notice is in their thinking, the way their brain solves problems is it's really high in the taking action category. It tends to be low in the planning category. It tends to be low in the people category. And they tend to say, um, it, there's no sense in me writing this stuff down because I have it organized in my head. The time I spend writing it down, I could be spent doing something. There's no sense in me um, training somebody to how to do this because by the time I train them, they're just going to mess it up and I'm going to have to redo it. I, I, I would be better off spending that time just getting the work done. It's this way of thinking that in order to get things done, just do the work. And consequently, whenever this pattern shows up, we call it the chevron of stress. Um, and it's, it's stressful because if working harder and faster doesn't make a difference, the heck else are you supposed to do? All right. I want you to think of somebody. Um, could be a board member you've known. Uh, could be somebody that was influential in your life. Could be somebody you read a book about. The kind of person that owns multiple businesses, but they don't work multiple full-time jobs. They probably own three businesses and only work 10 hours a week. Um, they always have more than enough time to give back. They always have more than enough time to contribute to their community or spend time in their hobbies. It's like they have the golden touch. And the less they work, the more they make. The less they hustle, the bigger difference they make in their community. The more people they reach with their message or their nonprofit. Mm -hmm. Whenever we do uh, a thinking pattern, we get it printed up for them, it makes this pattern here. And I want you to know this, that in this pattern, it's really high in how people feel it's really high in planning and structure, and it's really low in taking action. And this is counterintuitive. You would think that valuing action would cause things to get done, but it doesn't. It just causes your brain to look for more to do. And remember, if you're doing the work, your business is falling behind. The person with the golden touch, they don't do the work. This is very, very important in leadership. Your job is not to do as a leader. If you're writing this down, your job is to cause. And that's why when this pattern shows up in somebody's thinking, we call it the leadership V. There's a high emphasis on planning. And the reason is, if you're doing the work, if you spend that block of time doing the work, tomorrow, you're going to be the one doing the work. But if you spend that block of time building a system to support you, then tomorrow you won't ever have to do the work again. And there's no limit to the systems you can create and build but there's a very hard limit to the number of hours you can work. Same thing with people. There's no limit to the number of people that you can train and build and build high value relationships with emotional bank deposits, people that are driven and passionate and are constantly, hey, can I help you? Hey, can I help you? There's no limit to the number of relationships you can build like that. But if you're doing the work, there's a very hard limit on what is possible in your time. That's why we call this the leadership V. A breakthrough in your business will first occur as a breakthrough in your thinking. Now, look, if you're at a place where you feel like, man, 
this life business has taken way more effort than I thought it would take. Uh, it should not be this difficult to travel from, from point A to point B. Um, it feels like uh, going to those uh, meetings, board meetings for the symphony or the opera, or the ballet or the art museum, wherever you serve, if it feels like, man, I just, I'm feeling like I don't have time for this anymore. I, I got to get back to work. Or, or while you're there, it just, it just feels like hustle, hustle, hustle. It shouldn't be this hard to raise money. Shouldn't really be this hard to make a difference. If it feels that way, I want to tell you, you're probably right. You're, you're probably right. It should not be as difficult as it feels. Now, we acknowledge that it's always going to take some work, right? It's always going to take a little elbow grease. But if it feels like an overwhelming amount, it shouldn't be. It's just a daily grind. It shouldn't be this light. You're probably right. Remember, the less you work, the bigger difference you're going to make. Now, if that resonates with you, if you're like, okay, I, I can see how in some situations that would apply, but I'm not sure how that would apply in my situation. Here's, here's what I have for you. If, if you are a nonprofit board member, um, if you are a nonprofit leader, if you are serving nonprofits, or if you're in the nonprofit space, whether you're a business owner or whatever it is, it, it would be my honor to serve you with this information. You can test it out. You can try it for yourself. You can see if it's a good fit for you. And I'll even let you test it out on my tab. Okay? No need to pay for it. If you want to get your thinking patterns out on paper, see the breakthrough that's available for your business so that you could double your income by working half as many hours. I don't know what it is. I'd have to look at the map. Let me get you access to that. Just go here. And if you're listening to the podcast, mindsetcall.co. That'll give you access to it. You can get it printed up, try it out for yourself. See if you think it's a good fit. Mindsetcall.co. Won't cost you anything. If you're a board member, business owner serving a nonprofit, or a nonprofit leader. We'll post that on the site, mindset.co. Russell, what are you thinking? You got two, you're, we're ganging up on you. We got two musicians that have taken the high performance standards that we have in music and we've applied it to the board of nonprofits. What do you think about all this? I think it's fascinating. You know, this, uh, this notion of doing too much and actually, uh, ratcheting down, you're right. It's completely counterintuitive. <laughs> I really like this. So I'm going to go have my brain scan. That'll be very frightening to put that up on the screen and, uh, and do that. But yes, a lot of leaders overfunction. And I was just thinking about a conversation that I had with a very nice gentleman that reached out to me who's doing some really good work that's actually in line with some work that my other clients are doing. And uh, he needs a team around him. It's definitely doing too much. And so a lot of this, uh, we do too much, uh, but we don't get the results. So this is, this is a common problem for nonprofit leaders. And I want to maybe have you talk a little bit about the notion of what we call productivity. Because productivity and performance, uh, I think those get uh, often get confused or interchanged. And, and uh, so what do you find are some of the biggest uh, uh, productivity challenges that people have and how do you help them uh, separate the productivity from performance? So in, in productivity, uh, it's my opinion that productivity is not about getting things done. Um, I'm, I'm of the opinion that if you view productivity from the mindset of getting more things done, that you probably also have more on your to-do list than you have time to get done. You probably make the same amount of money every year. Your nonprofit probably reaches the same number of people every year. If you're a leader, the people work for you are probably more miserable than you think. Um, productivity is not about getting more things done, in my opinion. Um, productivity is about causing things to get done. Your job as a leader is to build systems and to build people. That's your job as a leader. If that day you built, tested, refined, failed, tested again, refined, failed the system, and you built people, you did a good job as a leader. You did your job. But if you went and put the fire out, mm, no, 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 no. At the firehouse, when they get that emergency call, the 
fire chief's job is to sit his butt in that chair and make phone calls. If the fire chief leaves to go to the house, he has now endangered everybody. His job is to line up supplies and backup supplies and emergency supplies. If those fail, his job is to do training procedures and testing training procedures. And if that fails and that's not working, well, let's try this. His job is to line up people with emotional bank deposits, high value relationships. So they care about their job. They're passionate about the vision. Okay. That's not working. We had to let this guy go. What can we change in the training here? His job, that's his job, systems and people. If he's doing the work, if he's out there personally training, if he's out there personally interviewing companies for supplies, then the business is falling behind. His job is to build systems and people. In my opinion, productivity needs to be thought of causing and not doing. So in the frame of performance, as we think of businesses, is your business performing? Is your mind performing? We usually look at, you know, standard metrics. Are we growing every year? Um, is our income growing? Are our constituents growing? Are our concert attendees growing? Are whatever, right? Are we growing? Okay. If you keep hitting the same numbers every year, it, duh, it obviously ain't because you're not trying hard. Everybody's already trying hard. That ain't the problem. The problem is, could be looking at productivity in the light of doing more work means getting more things done. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand the pain, right? When you got your to-do list overflowing and there's 27 things on fire and alligators climbing out of the swamp, chewing on your leg, I get it. It feels like, oh my gosh, I got to hustle. But here's the deal. The kind of person that always have more on their to-do list to do than they have time to get done solves problems by doing the work. The kind of person that always have enough time, always has enough money, always has enough people wanting to join the board or come in and help and whatever, that kind of person solves problems by building systems and building people. So when that person is stressed and they're like, oh my gosh, I got more in here to do than I have time to get done, their brain says, I need to spend more time planning. I need to spend more time partnering with people. The person who's stressed and is always stressed, their brain says, oh, there's more here than I have time to get done. I better get to work. Well, guess what? You're going to be stressed tomorrow too. Okay, uh, what's a 30,000 foot view of actually walking somebody through this process? Because we know they're stuck in there and it's like, okay, it's so totally counterintuitive. So, What's, what's, a, what's a typical walk through the process uh, look like from a 30,000 foot view? Starting with that brain scan, what sort of steps mm -hmm. do you take to actually bring that person to that shift? So yeah, uh, mindsetcall.co, <clears throat> if, uh, you know, if they're a good fit, if it makes sense for them because they're a business owner serving a nonprofit or a board member or a nonprofit executive or something like that, um, it does start with the mind scan. Um, and you know, like it, no, it's not a good fit for everybody. And that's why I say, don't take my word for it. Just try it for yourself. Um, the difference in, in this could be the 30,000 foot view answer. The difference between the work I do with business owners and why they double their income by working less hours and a business consultant, um, uh, a life coach, um, uh, a strategist or whatever, you know, the other people in the space, a business coach, whatever you want to call them. The difference is when you go to a, a life coach, they say, well, I don't know. What do you think? What do you think you should do? Well, good grief. What do you think you should do is exactly what has you in a situation to start with. If you knew what to do different, you wouldn't be talking to them. When you go to a strength coach, you show up at the gym for your first appointment with your trainer. The trainer doesn't say, what exercise do you feel like you should do today? You go to the trainer said, I want to look like this. I want to feel like that. I want to be able to do that. Trainer says, great. Do three of these, two of those. Call me tomorrow. Done. And that is the benefit of getting somebody's thinking patterns on paper so we can see where they're at and where they want to go. Okay. Now we know do three of these, two of these. Call me tomorrow. Know exactly what's going to get them to the next breakthrough. So yes, it starts with the mind scan. Obviously we have no way of knowing why that individual has been getting tripped up in their productivity or performance or profitability. Um, once we find the blind spot, then we know what tools are going to build those muscles and thinking patterns for them, which will be a little bit different um, depending on the business they're in. What do you find is the most common roadblock that, that, uh, that prevents somebody from executing it? Now, I guess that would be, uh, 
I don't know, how similar is that to people that this system doesn't fit? What sort of things, would, uh, first of all, what sort of things would, would eliminate somebody from being a good candidate? And then once they are a candidate, what are, what's probably the most common bottleneck that they experience in making that transition? Yes, yes, yes. And we just got the five-minute sign from Hugh, so want to be a good steward of his time, too. Um, people who aren't a good fit are middle managers, people who don't have control over their schedule or their time. Um, you need to have at least 20% full control over your schedule. Um, I, I understand if there's things on your schedule that you just got to do, um, but 20% of your schedule needs to be completely up to you. Um, if you don't have access to that, then um, the breakthrough that the mind scan is going to show for your thinking patterns likely will not be helpful. Um, you need some kind of measure of control. Um, another is, you know, some things just aren't a good fit for everybody. Um, probably 1% of the people that take the mind scan, they're like, yeah, I didn't get anything out of this. 30% um, of them are in tears because they're like, good golly, thank you. Now I understand this explains everything. It's so emotionally meaningful to them. Um, about 1% of the time, somebody will tell me, no, 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 that's not me at all. That's not me. And then I was like, okay, well, tell me more about that. Uh, how do you experience that situation? And they'll go on to describe exactly what I just said. Um, so maybe they're just not ready. I don't know. Maybe it's not painful enough where they're at. I don't know. <laughs> but sometimes that happens. Egyptian riverboat captains going down denial. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. a long time wow uh, we're talking to jared henning h-a-n-n-i-n-g uh you can find out his his business is mindset performance you can go to mindset performance just like it sounds mindsetperformance.co just two letters mindsetperformance.co you can find out about jared and he's offered you some free stuff here just for our listeners, you go to Mindset Call, uh, that's C-A-L-L, MindsetCall.co, and there's some free stuff so you can start um, exploring how your brain works, and there's, there's a lot of really good stuff in this, Jared, and we are the product of our thinking, aren't we? I, I think about the quote from James Allen that says, uh, people have changed to genderless people want to change their circumstances but are unwilling to change themselves they therefore remain bound and that could describe lots of nonprofit leaders that are stuck in a thinking system and don't want to have responsibility and really we call them blind spots because we can't see them we need somebody external to help us find them there's a lot of really good stuff here i'm gonna go take that that um, mind, mind thing that you got there. I hope my brain didn't come out looking empty. <laughs> it's always a risk. Um, so mindset change. If you think differently about marketing, and our sponsor for the nonprofit exchange today is WordSprint. WordSprint, we use them. WordSprint, like fast, wordsprint.com. Uh, go there. There's a place to schedule an interview with Bill Gilmer or his team. But he's found out is if we stay in touch with our tribe, uh, if we stay in touch with the right message to the right person in, the, in a rhythm that tells us about the value of, of the impact we're having in people's lives, then they're gonna continue to be donors and they'll invite others and they will increase their donation. He's got decades of research that, that validate this. So let's change our mindset about marketing and stay in touch. Wordsprint.com. We send our magazine, and Jared, you're going to get an invite to write for the magazine. Nonprofitperformance.org is the magazine. Nonprofitperformance.org is the magazine. And he sends them, we send the magazine in Bill's mailing, and we give it to people who are on our community. So if you go to look for this interview on the nonprofit exchange, the nonprofitexchange.org, when you get to the page, there's a join button. It's blue, it's at the top, join the community, and then be sure that we get your address. Uh, you can read the magazine online, and you can see a tab for the magazine. You can read it and find out lessons that will help, find lessons that will help you be a better leader. Because we are, many of us are nothing but potential. 
And fortunately, somebody believed in me. And Jared, I started conducting when I was 18. Never been in a choir, never been in front of a choir and orchestra. Somebody gave me a break and I learned along the way. Uh, so we, uh, we support nonprofit leaders in the online community. So when you go to the nonprofit exchange, you're, in, you're on the place where the community is. So look around, join us, you can join for free. You get my $100 program for free, the five pillars of success. And a lot of what Jared is talking about is in that second pillar about leadership. You got to have a system to work in. We can't play without music. We need a roadmap for success, but we got to step up as a leader and change our thinking so we can influence other people. Jared, what thought would you like to leave people with as we end this really, really good interview? Well, let's see here. Got a couple quotes. If you're doing the work, your business is falling behind. Um, any, at any point in your day, just look at what you're doing. Are you scheduling? Are you rescheduling? Are you emailing? Are you calling? Are you meeting with somebody? Whatever you're doing, if you're the one doing it, your business is falling behind. We need you in the fire chief spot, building systems and building people, empowering. Um, and if, if it feels like that doesn't make sense, it doesn't apply to your business. Um, it seems like a, a bad idea. Uh, then the second thought I'd, I'd encourage you is that a breakthrough in your situation will at first sound like craziness, just like riding a bicycle. Excellent. Excellent thoughts. What a, what a fast hour, a fast and fascinating hour. I'm looking forward to taking this test. Just out of curiosity, do you have a book on it? Because we're highlighting books that are written by some of our guests. Oh, gosh, I wish I did. I don't have a book to share with you. I'm, I'm sorry. Not yet. Not yet. It's not coming. Yet. It's coming. It's so <laughs> that's on this to-do list. So next year, we'll be reading the book by Jared Handy. I'm looking forward to this. I'm, I'm, I'm excited already. I know that. That, but because he knows how to free up that time, getting a book is, is not going to be something that's going to overcrowd Jared's to-do list. <laughs> so I'd encourage you to go take advantage of taking this test to find out a little bit about how you're thinking uh, and see if, if this is something that's right for you to make a shift. Because what all of you folks out there are doing is making a difference and solving problems in the world, making the world a better place. And we are very grateful for that. We are here every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern on the Nonprofit Exchange. You can subscribe to this podcast on both Stitcher and iTunes so you never miss an episode. We look forward to seeing you here again next week where we'll have somebody brilliant like Jared here to talk about ways that you can get more done and just uh, serve more people. And that's what it's about. It's about being able to serve more people as well as to enjoy our own lives more. So until next week at this time, this is Russell Dennis signing off for Hugh Ballou. We look forward to seeing you right here next week on the Nonprofit Exchange. Until then, thank you for all that you do and keep on making a difference. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.